This is Coach Lee, and you're listening to The Door Report. On today's episode of The Door Report, powered by Alaco Fine Wood Floors, we recap Vandy's 42 to nothing loss at Florida. In particular, we ask the question, what is wrong with this offense? As Clark Lee likes to say, there was a lot of meat left on the bone in that game. But at what point do you start to worry about Vandy, even in matchups against South Carolina and Missouri? We've also got our three main takeaways coming up, a full stat report, and we'll also give a shout-out to Jerry Stackhouse because he's killing it on the recruiting trail as the Commodores picked up their third four-star in the 2022 class as Colin Smith commits to Vandy over Michigan, Virginia, and Arkansas, among others. We've got all that and much more coming right up here on The Door Report, powered by Alaco Fine Wood Floors. Let's ride. You're listening to The Door Report, the premier Vanderbilt podcast for fans who believe black and gold. Commodore Nation, anchor down. Welcome into The Door Report. It is episode 114. It is October 11th, 2021. Getting further and further into the fall season. Temps are cooling off in Nashville and uh, the leaves are starting to fall. So always good when you start seeing that. Of course, during football season, we are, as always, powered by Alaco Finewood Floors. Will, we have some good news on the basketball front, but on the football front, Vanderbilt takes an L to Florida 42 nothing. We will have our full recap. We'll give our three main takeaways. Uh, also heading into South Carolina, Vandy is an 18-and-a-half-point underdog heading into that one. Uh, so, Will, we both strongly believe they left a lot of points on the board there. But, but man, that it was – I think Brian Carlson's article was, was, was very good, and he put it well. that There was a lot of points left out there, and the final score didn't, didn't necessarily say how this game went. And I think you'd agree with that. Yeah, Vanderbilt looked like they belonged on the field for a half, and the scoreboard didn't reflect that. The box score certainly reflected it yes. at the end of the game. The box score does not show a, four, a 42 to nothing defeat for Vanderbilt in that box score. It does show them being beaten, but it does not show 42 mm-hmm. to nothing. And at some point, you have to be looking at this and saying, okay, we've been saying you're leaving meat on the bone. Leaving meat on the bone is what mm-hmm. Clark Lee has continued to say. At some point, you have to figure out how you're going to stop doing that because we're halfway through the year now. There are certainly some issues as far as personnel are concerned on this roster, but in our key takeaways, we'll get into it as well. I think this game really exemplifies and shows that maybe it's less personnel issues and really this offense is just overcomplicated and not gelling with these players that they have on the field there. Yeah. And we'll dive into that, how this offense fits with the guys they have and, and kind of the, what what Clark Lee may want going forward with this offense. And, you know, we saw this team, they scored 17 against Florida last season. We talked about it before coming on, Will. And so we'll dive into some of the issues with this offense and why they have looked the way they've looked necessarily here to begin the season. Coming up, three main takeaways. Before we get to the Florida recap, though, don't forget to follow us on Twitter, at door underscore report and Instagram, door dot report. Like us on Facebook. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Our podcast is available on Anchor, iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. And while you're at it, give our podcast five stars and a review on iTunes. All right, let's recap Florida. No matter what style you're going for, you can trust your flooring job to a Laco Fine Wood Floors. Take a walk through the woods in your home every day. Get your flooring job started today by calling 615 615- 
356-0303. Alaco Fine Wood Floors. Craftsmanship you can stand on. All right, Will, before we get into the Florida recap, it's time to talk about some good basketball news. And this was a, a pleasant surprise. Well, not necessarily a surprise. I think we expected this going into Sunday afternoon. I thought it was kind of funny. He, Colin Smith announced he would, uh, he would put out his, his commitment at 1 p.m. Eastern time. I think he ended up putting it out at about 1.20 uh, p.m. Eastern time. He waited about 15, 20 extra minutes. But, uh, again, Will, this is a huge get. Colin Smith, six foot eight power forward out of Dallas, Texas, uh, goes to Compass Prep School, uh, committed to Vanderbilt yesterday afternoon. He's the Commodore's fourth commitment in Coach Stackhouse's 2022 class and the third four-star, along with Lee Dort and Noah Shelby, while Malik Dia out of Ensworth rounds out the class. And, well, looking at his other offers, this is a damn impressive get from Stackhouse. He chose Vandy over Michigan, Virginia, Arkansas, Oregon, Texas, Illinois, Arizona State, among others. And it's, this is beyond impressive because you already got Noah Shelby and, uh, and Lee Dort, but now you add another four-star, and, boy, all of a sudden – you know, I know, I know you. You're not the biggest proponent of me hyping up this uh, this class. And again, I'm I'm with you to an extent. But man, it's hard not to get somewhat excited about these guys coming in now. And they've got the top 15 recruiting class. So um, I know it's tough. We feel like this program's cursed to an extent. But uh, but hey, they got they got another four star, and it's something to celebrate. Billy, I'm 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 excited. I mean, I am, and I'm trying I'm trying to not be because I feel like I'm putting on my clown makeup and my clown wig because I'm just waiting <laughs> on one of these guys to get injured before they even step foot on campus at Vanderbilt, and within three months of being on campus at Vanderbilt, another one of them be injured. It just feels like at this point that's just that is just what it is, and this, and and you can say it feels like they're cursed. I think they are cursed. Kevin Stallings put some bad juju on this team, and it just it's it has been a curse at this point. But an update on another injury yes. uh, that had been from a key transfer and Liam Robbins coming in from Minnesota at that center position. Uh, from a, in a tweet from Robbie Weinstein, he said Jerry Stackhouse confirmed that Vanderbilt center Liam Robbins is recovering from a foot injury and said the Minnesota transfer is expected to be in the mix probably in another week or two. And he oh. tweeted that four days ago. So Liam Robbins looks like there was an injury that had been kind of rumored swirling around there, but it doesn't look like it's going to threaten his entire season as far as him being able to step foot and contribute for the Commodores this uh, this upcoming Wait. year. Which again, seeing that is is another representation of boy, the, the Vanderbilt dodged a bullet there with Liam Robbins because you know if he's down, that has you know that brings up you know some of their backups like Quint Melora Brown who and and Liam Liam Robbins is he's their guy you know he, he's he is he's legit yeah he, he's their guy this year along with guys like guys like Rodney Chapman you know who are coming in and and you know saying hey we transferring in and we're we're going to try to compete at the at the high level in the SEC level so well it is interesting and and this team is kind of feels like they're playing musical chairs with some of these guys and, and trying to figure out what kind of lineup uh, coach Stackhouse wants but we will we'll talk more basketball uh, again coming up but uh, Vanderbilt also has the number 2 class in the SEC right now behind only Arkansas who Eric Musselman has done a tremendous job recruiting there. So Vanderbilt uh, grabs Colin Smith from uh, from Texas, uh, third third Texas guy that they've gotten. Also a local kid, Malik Dia, out of Ensworth. All right, well, let's recap Florida. And, and this was a game where I think initially you 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 realized on Vanderbilt's first offensive possession that Vanderbilt they you know I don't want to say they can compete, 
but they they belonged on the same field with Florida. And and that was that was pretty apparent early on. That first offensive drive, you got it started. And of course it was it was hindered uh there late by by a, a punt. And then you saw some missed field goals as well later uh, in those offensive possessions. But looking at this game, Will, again, both of us kind of look like idiots again because we picked Vanderbilt to cover. No, no, no. Um, no, no, no. I, my my prediction, I'm I'm very proud of my prediction. Again, you said our predictions have been off, Billy. I, this is as accurate as my predictions have ever been the entire well, I mean, year. They were accurate, but Vanderbilt didn't score. But so, I predicted mine. I just want to say before we get here, I predicted 42 to 13. Florida did score exactly 42 points. Yes. And Vanderbilt, without that overturned touchdown, and if Bolivis can hit two out of three field goals, I was dead on. And I said if Vanderbilt could be within about two, three scores, about a two-score game at halftime, that that's what I expected, a 42-13 loss, but it'd be within striking distance in the first half. So it all comes back down. So, and we'll get into this a little more in the recap, but the Chris Pierce, the worst replay review overturn, mm -hmm. I think, I may have ever seen. And that says a lot, a lot. That was just classic SEC refs over Vandy, um, just versus Vandy. And, and, Will, this was a game, I mean, when you really go back and look at the entirety of this game, Vanderbilt realistically left 17 points on the board. And who knows if they end up, if Bolivis makes not even all three, if he makes two out of the three, that's six points. They score there, that's 13 points. And who knows what that would have created for the momentum of the game and for their defense to even begin, hey, our offense is putting up some points. Let's go play for them. And you saw that against Colorado State. And I think you haven't seen that much for the rest of the season, maybe a little bit against Stanford. But when this offense is giving this team confidence, they're typically clicking. And you've seen it before. But if this offense is, is inept and not playing well at all, this team just, you know, it kind of falls apart to an extent. And, and you know, you've seen the defense play well at times, but the chunk plays again against Florida uh, is what hurt them. And taking a look at the stat report, well, again, we'll go through some of these stats and we'll get, of course, all of our takeaways. But uh, this was the 15th consecutive SEC loss for Vanderbilt, the second time they've been shut out by an SEC team. Florida and Georgia combined put up 104 points uh, over Vanderbilt. And that's that's pretty staggering. I know it's Florida and Georgia, but, you know, that's that's unacceptable. Uh, Brian Carlson, we mentioned earlier, he had the story on our website and he wrote in regards to the final score. It, it simply wasn't an indicator of how it went. And well, for 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 as bad as the Chris Pierce call was and I know the missed field goals, I don't want this game to to be something where we, you know, we try to make excuses for uh, for Vanderbilt and, and how 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 poorly they did play because they didn't play. They did not play a very well, very well executed game offensively. Uh, now, defensively, I think there was some improvement um, and they moved the ball at times offensively, but they couldn't finish drives. And we'll get into those on our keys. But Will, initially here, I know you have a few more things to hit on. It, it's, overall, I, I think, yes, there are some positives, but the, the, the negatives are a little bit more glaring, I think, at this point. I think that what this game showed me more than anything, Billy, is that man, the talent gap between like Florida and Georgia is insane because it, I mean, Florida, the difference in Florida and Georgia almost felt like the difference between Florida and Vanderbilt and that yeah. talent level, because Vanderbilt was able to look like they belonged on the field with Florida throughout that whole first half. I don't think anyone that actually sat down and watched from the opening kick to the end of that first half would watch that game and say, man, Florida absolutely blew the brakes off of Vanderbilt up 21-0. No. Nobody would have watched it and thought that. And, when you, and you'll get into the stats here in one second, but mm -hmm. just one, a couple key things that I want. Uh, first downs, 
Vanderbilt, 18. Florida, 18. Time of possession, Vanderbilt, which I always say is the most overrated stat in all of college football, but Vanderbilt, 36 minutes to Florida's 23 minutes. When And you look at this and say, and at one point, I believe it was in the third quarter, early fourth, the announcers gave the stat of at that point in the game, Florida had ran 48 offensive plays for a total of 42 points. Wow. Vanderbilt wow. had ran 70 offensive plays for a total of zero points. And I'm going to touch on this more in my keys as to that contributing to the struggles of this offense and some of that being personnel and some of that just being lack of execution in key spots and lack of, and not lack of, but lack of creative play calling in yeah. spots when this team actually has opportunities to capitalize on the scoreboard. I think it's just a, a combination of issues mm -hmm. right now. You've got, you know, you've got maybe, we'll, we'll get into it. We'll, we'll talk about all we'll those issues. But, Everyone uh, wants to point at one big issue, I think is what we're trying to say here. Everyone wants to point yes. at that is the problem or this is the problem. It's a combination of yes. everything, but we're just going to try to sort through maybe where a majority of the blame lies yes. here following this loss. Yeah, and before we get to that, let's get through some of these stats here. Ken Seals on the day, 22 of 43, 192 yards. Uh, he did have two interceptions. Um, and then you also saw Mike Wright a little bit there at the end, two for two. Uh, Patrick Smith, though, will we'll touch on him. He he we agreed on him for both uh, one of our mm. keys here. 17 carries, 75 yards, averaged four four yards a carry. Uh, Rocco Griffin also nine nine uh, nine carries, 12 yards. Cam Johnson four catches, 49 yards. Devin Body Jr. five catches, 49 yards as well. And then going down there, Will Shepard four catches, 45 yards. And Chris Pierce, five catches for 25 yards. So initially, Will, going through the receiver room, this is the first time I think they've really spread it out. And I know, you know, the yards don't necessarily pop out to you, but they did have nearly 200 yards receiving. And, and I think this is what uh, they're getting closer to their potential. And, and, and again, we'll touch on that offense uh, a little bit later. But defensively, Will, Anthony Orji, you know, per usual, led the team at tackles, seven tackles. Uh, Dericky Wright also had six tackles. Nate Clifton and Ethan Barr, six tackles as well, as well. But Will, two interceptions. The takeaways. We talk about our takeaways from the game, but Vanderbilt had a couple, you know, big takeaways. Elijah McAllister jumped up for an interception. Deshaun Jerkins made a diving interception. So those are some of the plays that, that you know, if you're Clark Lee, you got to see more of from, from these guys because not only does that create a momentum for, for the defense, but offensively uh, it gives them a little bit more confidence. So, well, here we go now with the – unless you have anything else on the stats, uh, of course, Emory Jones. I do want to add a couple things on the stats before we go, which is once again Vanderbilt having zero sacks from that defensive line. Right. Zero again. So three total sacks on the year. And actually, I'm, the production – I don't want to describe this because it's not in my keys, but I do want to go out there. The, the offensive line didn't play amazing by any stretch of the imagination. But I thought the offensive line gave Ken Seals enough time to be successful back there. Mm. I think the offensive line allowed that offense to move up and down the field. Now, when they got in the red zone or in any scoring type of opportunities, that field shrunk down. That's when you saw them just saw them begin to struggle a little bit more. But the offensive line, if they play like that game in, game out for the remaining six games of the year, it's going to put Vanderbilt in spots to succeed, which is really all you can ask from a group like this that is really undermanned. Yeah, and we'll talk about the offensive line. I will, especially when, you know, when talking about not finishing drives, because mm -hmm. in the red zone, it's it's tough when you when you're not able to, you know, gain any sort of momentum mm -hmm. there offensively from that front. So um, those are the stats. Again, Emory Jones could, you know, is likely your MVP. Anthony Richardson had had a had some uh, some time there at the end but uh those are the stats and let's roll into will the three main takeaways here uh, i'm going to begin with 
I started this with red zone offense, uh, but I think we talked it over and we realized this team was only in the red zone once. Now we don't have that official stat, but I changed it to scoring position and not finishing drives because this offense will is mind boggling at times. And I think we can both agree on it. Um, The apparent touchdown to Chris Pierce on fourth down uh, that was, you know, that shouldn't have been on fourth down. They should have tried that on first down or second down. Uh, And initially they had an inside zone run and then seals proceeded to throw two incomplete passes on. It was the hurry up. It was the hurry up quarterback sneak. Wasn't it was the first play. Yes. The sneak and then the inside zone. Mm -hmm. uh, And then you had an incomplete pass and then you go to Chris Pierce. So Mm -hmm. um, it's just plays like that. And, and sequences like that, where you say, Hey, what if we go to Chris on first down, maybe throw a fade up to him and, 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 you know, who knows what is contributing to all of these issues, Will. Again, we cannot point to one main issue, but there are – we're going to tr- do our best to dive into what are the issues here and what are the ma- majority of these issues. Uh, but, well, I think the bottom line here is Vandy's lack of physicality on the offensive line because r- in the red zone right now, when Vandy's in the red zone, and more importantly, within the, inside the 10-yard line, they are not able to run the ball really at all. Uh, because inside the 10 yard line, those defenses are able to press up on the receivers because they know likely Vanderbilt, you know, if they're going to run the ball, it's, it's easy to stop. But if you don't run the ball, those DBs and a lot of times the, the, the Florida DBs, they've had really good DBs. But in the red zone, it's it's a lot easier for the defense to 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 game plan. I mean, especially in this Vanderbilt offense. And so I, I, I do think a lot of it, I'm not placing it all on the O-line. Um, because I think Joey Lynch can be a little bit more creative in the red zone. Uh, and because he's, he's, he's going to have to get more creative because this team has struggled mightily in the red zone this season. Um, and again, without, without a semblance of an O-line, it's tough to pass in that red zone because most teams press up, as I said. And nonetheless, uh, this team must be better because, well, it, if they want to compete um, against teams like South Carolina and Missouri, you cannot play in the red zone like that. I know they only had, you know, I, we're not sure of this. Are we, are we sure that was the only trip to the red I'm zone? Pretty, I, I believe that was the only time they were inside the 20. Okay. Now, could, they could have gotten in there and gotten pushed out by penalties or yeah. sacks, but that was the only time they were inside the 10. I'm, yeah. I'm pretty we confident need, on that one. We need a, an official red zone stat. We need to start tracking these. But, uh, well, I think what I'm trying to say mostly here is, you know, red zone, there's needs to be a sense of urgency. And it seems like this team, when they get inside the 20, inside the 10, you know, it's just, what do we do? You know, it's kind of, it's people looking around, like they need that playmaker, that guy to, you know, Chris Pierce made a play. (laughs) And, you know, he went up there and made a play. Now, a lot of this is that play got overturned. And I think we may be talking about this in a different light, but I think my bottom line is here, Will, uh, finishing drives and and kind of having that sense of urgency and and just you know committing to finishing and I think that's what Clark is trying to get this team to do. Yeah, you hit on you hit on the finishing of drives, which I'm going to hit on in my key number one, which is just going to be the overall offensive production. We're halfway through the year; it's time to take a step back and evaluate where this team is at. They've played four non-conference games and two of the three best SEC teams on their schedule, so you should have a pretty good feel statistically of where this team is right now and if and and long story short and i'll run through the stats here and a couple and a couple key takeaways from this florida game specifically but if vanderbilt like clark lee and candace story lee want to be if they want to act like a real sec football team 
Joey Lynch and David Wright are gone after this season. Spoiler alert, I really doubt they're going to be. But the offensive numbers at this point are way past outmatched personnel. They're just embarrassing, and they're bad, and it's on coaching. And there's nothing else that it can be on. This is the first time that I watched a game, and yes, I have concerns about Seals necessarily being a long-term fit, some of his decision-making processes, some of the time that he seems to miss an, an easy throw and, and try to make the more complicated throw where he just doesn't give his guy a chance to go up and get the ball and puts it in a place that's uncatchable for everyone. Mm. This is the first time I've really watched the game and said, Ken Seals is 100% not the problem. And it, let me just run through here before I, before yeah. I get into that point. But there's no reason this offense should be that bad. This team last year, you can argue that the defense this year is undermanned worse than last year than the talent level that they had last season. You cannot argue that the offense is worse than it was last no. season. You have a better offensive lineman returning that adopted out last season. You have the same receivers with another year of experience. You have a quarterback with another year of experience. Yes, your running backs, you had the injury to Ramon Davis, but your running backs last year were inexperienced. This offense is in a better spot with personnel than it was last year under Derek Mason. Mm-hmm. And last year they put up 17 points against a better Florida team and only lost 38 to 17 against a Florida team with Kyle Trask that was ranked number six in the mm-hmm. country at the time. There's no excuse to lose this game 42 nothing. It's on the coaching staff. It's not on the players. And so getting into that, the first two drives tell the story, I think, of my issues with the play calling and kind of where we are at this point in the predictability and why they have struggled so badly. And this is one of the points. So first drive of the game, Vanderbilt passed for eight yards to Cam Johnson. Great. It was a little yeah. screen pass. It was what I said on the podcast. It would be an inside inside run concept or a screen pass to a receiver. I we said I put the, put the house on it. And it was a screen pass to Cam Johnson, but it worked. We would have so made I can't a lot complain. of money. But the guaranteed, because they threw it on first down, was second down they were going to run it up the middle. And they did with Rocco Griffin, which leads to third down. Obvious passing situation, even though it's third and two, third and three, and punt. Second down, Ken Seals, pass to Rocco Griffin, seven yards, second and three. Guess what they're going to do on second down? Run up the middle, baby. One-yard gain, third down. They actually pick up the third down. So then, next play, first and 10 from the Vanderbilt 36, you picked up a first down coming out of a timeout. Wow, this offense is moving the ball down the field, feeling a little bit of confidence build, right? Great. Ken Seals passed to Chris Pierce for six yards. Sets you up on a second manageable, second and four. Mm-hmm. Guess what the Vanderbilt Commodores do on second down the because they throw in for, yes, sir, they do. Boom. For just a gain of one yard, just like we predicted. Then third and obvious passing situation, incomplete pass, six-yard punt. Florida quickly drives down the field. You're down 14 nothing. Who would have thunk it? Then thunk? Th- the next three drives for Vanderbilt, they actually throw on both first and second down. Now, it resulted in that first drive was a three and out. It's not going to work every time. However, the next two drives, when they actually throw the ball and have unpredictable first and second down play calling, they were set up with field goals of around 40 yards each in in scoring situations because they didn't just run the same shit. And it is driving me insane that it is taking this coaching staff repeatedly coming out and coming out with the same game plan and getting stuffed before they will make any adjustments. And so far this season, this is why Joey Lynch and David Wright need to be gone because there's no excuse for this. This is the only team in the SEC averaging under 200 passing yards per game with 196. It is the only team in the SEC averaging under 20 points per game. They're averaging 13 points per game. The next is 22 for South Carolina. 22 is the next closest. Mm. They have 80 total points on the season. South Carolina is next with 132. 
They have zero plays over 40 yards. They're the only team to not be averaging at least 310 yards per game. The next lowest is 335. And I keep hearing on the Ken Seals hour when he does that, uh, is it VandySports.com? VandySports.com, yeah. Yes, they have a great podcast where they talk mm -hmm. to him where he keeps saying that this offense is complicated and it's and it, you know it's, it's taking a lot for him and the receivers to be on the same page. And you're halfway through the year at this point. Ken Seals, I might be wrong. The guy doesn't strike me as an idiot. I don't think he's stupid. I think he's a pretty intelligent kid. And he can't grasp it after halfway through the season. At some point, you have to sit there and say, hey, maybe it's not the players and maybe it's my offensive scheme. It's just too damn complicated. And that is where I think everybody wants to point the finger at what the issue is, is the no plays over 40 yards. So, yes, a lot of it, Joey Lynch, David Ryder, not utilizing playmakers. It's been bad. But also, this team doesn't have the guy. They don't have the Ralph Webb. They don't have the Keyshawn Vaughn. They don't have the Jordan Matthews. In the Florida Vanderbilt game where Vanderbilt lost 9-7, to Ralph Webb had a little seam on the only touchdown scored by the Commodores, and he busted it for a 70-yard touchdown run. They don't have a single guy on this roster that if you gave them a 10-yard head start with the ball at the 10-yard line, that they could outrun any SEC defense. They don't have one guy. They would and all get hawked down and caught. And that, Billy, is getting to your point on your key one right there, which is the finishing of drives inside the red zone. Vanderbilt has to hit home run plays because they don't have the offensive line, and right now they also don't have playmakers. So while 80% of the blame I place on Lynch and Rye, 20% is just on the fact they don't have guys that can bust 40-plus-yard plays. And, and, and that's as simple as I can put it. And it's the problem right now. With, with this mm -hmm. offense, Will, Joey Lynch and David Rye collaborating here. I know we saw David Rye at the beginning as the offensive coordinator, and now you've seen a switch from Joey Lynch. I can't imagine what some of these players are going through with what David Rye ha had you know, initially been telling them, and now you're hearing things from Joey Lynch. So you know, I'm not making excuses for – you know, for this, for, for the offensive scheme and coaching here. But all I'm saying is with this offensive scheme that they're running, the, the dudes that Vanderbilt has is not, is not what I think three, four years down the road, what Clarkley envisions for this offense is not what they have right now. And I know, I, I know they, you know, who knows, Clark Lee may want to make a change next next season in offensive scheme, and I think a lot of fans would be happy with that, and you included, me included. But I think right now, Will, if this offense wants to be that, that you know, do potentially dominant offense that, that Joey Lynch and Clark Lee envision, they have to get some of the, you know, I'm not saying this, Ken Seals can, you know, he's shown he can have success in this offense, but halfway through the season, I'm with you. You know, we haven't seen that big enough step from Ken Seals to, to you know, take control of that, uh, of that offense. So uh, we can talk about this offense for a while, um, but I think, you know, you said it best, Will. This, if they want to maintain this scheme, I think there's going to be some fans that may not be, be happy. But again, I think Joey Lynch and Clark Lee would come back at you and say, hey, we don't necessarily have our guys right now. So uh, we'll continue to monitor this, this, you know, what's going on offensively. Um, but let, again, let, we could, we could roll, continue to roll on here, but I'm going to get to my second key. And for me, uh, Will, it's, it's Joseph Bulovus and I, I hate singling the guy out. Um, but, and I'm not saying this game, well, I mean, I am technically this, this game would have been a lot closer if he would have made those and, and it would have it would have been a lot more respectable because three missed field goals. He missed from 39, he missed from 41 and then he missed from 33. He can make all those kicks. We've seen it before. This, this is big like Joe we're talking about. Uh, and for him to struggle, you know, the way he is, it's, it's surprising. 
Um, and, you know, for what I noticed initially, Will, was that they were all from the left hash. And I think, I don't know if you heard in the press conference, Coach Lee has talked about it. He said, Bulovis favors that right hash. And I think most kickers do because, you know, I think most kickers do because from, from that, going from that right to that left side, it, it, you know, from a kicker's instinct, it seems easier. Um, you know, who knows? I've never been a kicker, but um, Joseph Bulovis, he's going to have to get that figured out and, and kind of that hash mark situation uh, because he, he is, he's needed at this point in the season now more than ever. Now you got Florida and Georgia out of the way. I don't think a big leg Joe kick was going to win any of those, but against Missouri, South Carolina, if he's in a big spot and he's on the left hash, he still has to be able to make it, you know, and, and we've saw, I think if I'm not mistaken, all three of those were from the left hash. Um, and you saw that last one barely miss. I mean, that was a, seemed like a centimeter off. So, uh, well, he, he's just got to be better, and, and I know he knows that. He's a fifth-year senior. He's a smart kid, uh, smart guy, and, and he, he knows exactly what he's doing. So I expect Joe to come back and, and you know, not have a performance like that. Uh, but, again, if he does, that makes things five times harder for this team and because uh, you got Bulovis putting them behind the eight ball. So, again, Joseph Bulovis for me, Will, is, is a guy that they need, and, and I know it's, a, it's our kicker. Um, but they need him to make kicks like that. It's the bottom line. And if he's not, th- this team is just th- – they're not the same. And I think they, they, they feed off of his momentum off of those makes. He's like, all right, Joe makes a kick. Let's get out there and let's win for, let's win for Joe because he's, he's helping us. So th- that's, that's my second. In a team just marked by a lack of consistency on every side of the ball at every position, I think it's really disheartening for everyone on that roster to see the one guy that has been kind of consistent throughout this whole year – come out and perform poorly. And I think that he would agree with this if he was sitting here on this podcast. I like mm-hmm. to say that I, I never have opinions that I would not be willing to say to their face if they joined us for the podcast. Yes. So every strong opinion I have, if they joined and questioned me on them, I would have them to their face. And yes. Joe knows that he played like shit. He knows he did. He missed three kicks that he should make. And it's kind of weird. I don't know anything about the concept of kicking, and this is a joke right here, but I have Vanderbilt at plus 39 and a half. I think Big Joe may have been paid off a little bit uh, to shave those <laughs> points off because all I needed was one of them, Joe. I just needed one, man. But all joking one. aside, you see him moving, and you saw it in the game-winning kick against Colorado State. His kicks break right to left late, and that's yes. why he favors that right side, and every single one that he missed broke right to left late. So hopefully that's something he can focus on, but it was mm-hmm. an issue at Alabama. It just may be an issue with his mechanics. I don't have the kicking mechanics or, or the thoughts on right. how to even fix that. So yeah. in the future, I mean, he's just been the main guy that has been consistent scoring for this team. There's been really none else. And so that's a little disheartening for the defense to see on top of that overturned call. But I already touched on what my second second key was, which is the explosive plays. Mm-hmm. But I'm also going to say the personnel usage. And this hits on your key one of red zone is, I thought for a little bit that maybe they were using Mike Wright and not bringing him in because they wanted to maintain a red shirt because he's allowed to play in three. Is it three or four games where you can maintain red shirt eligibility? But that it's that you know, that I'm getting to my point now is that's obviously not the case because they put yeah. him in. So what the hell are they doing with him? Why are they not utilizing him in a team that has struggled in the red zone all year? And this gets to my point of through the entire process of hiring Clark Lee. My only issue with Clark Lee is he was a defensive coordinator. Every single person told me offensive versus defensive minded coaching. That's a fan thing. 
no, that's not a real thing. Nobody does that. That's not real. And I said, really, it's not because I, you know, on the outside as a fan, never been in a college football locker room, seems like there's a huge difference between bringing in an offensive versus defensive former coordinator and an offensive minded versus defensive minded in quotations. And you're seeing that. I mean, Clark Lee's a defensive-minded guy. He has no idea how to utilize offensive personnel. That's prevalent. I mean, they have not utilized a single bit of talent that they've had on this roster. Now, defensively, I think they have utilized talent yes. well. But you look at Tennessee with Heupel. You look at, even if though they are bad with Mississippi State with, with Leach. I mean, both those teams, their defenses are bad. But their offenses are explosive because these coaches know how to utilize playmakers. And for as much as I think Clark Lee's a smart guy, he has no idea what he's doing, utilizing his playmakers in offense. And neither does Joey Lynch, neither does David Rye. If you have Mike Wright sitting on that sideline before that, and at the end of the half, we'll just get into it, the Chris Pierce overturned touchdown was awful. Okay, and that's where a lot of my attention and everybody's attention has been focused. And that has taken some of the flack off of Lynch and Rye there, who I'm just going to say Lynch for now because I think he's calling the plays. Yes. But Lynch, that sequence of play calling after that Cam Johnson catch that got them down to the one-yard line with about a minute left in that first half, the sequence of play calling off after that was just horrendous. Mm-hmm. I mean, you had the rush up, I believe, Ken Seals sneak. Yeah. And then you had the, what was it, jump pass to Bresnahan mm-hmm. um, immediately after that was just, why would you even try to run that? And then you had another run up the middle on third down, and then you're going to throw a low percentage fade floating pass to Chris Pierce that should have been a touchdown, but that's also an awful play call. And you have Mike Wright sitting there the entire time that is built to be a wildcat package at the one yard line where Florida, even though they can drop down their safeties where they're not 12 yards down the field anymore, their backers are closer to the line of scrimmage. Well, Mike Wright takes away that advantage because he's immediately a guy you have to account for and they no longer have a numbers advantage in the same way in the box that they do when Ken Seals is on the field. And so the personnel usage by this offensive staff, and I think the difference between offensive versus defensive-minded coaches, and I'm putting air quotes up right now, is if that is Lane Kiffin, Mike Leach, Josh Heupel, I think that there is no way in hell that Mike Wright is sitting on that sideline on second goal right there because I think he's running over there grabbing Joey Lynch and saying, "We we have to run that package that we put in. And I think that Joey Lynch just has no idea what he's doing. I think he's in over his head. I think he knows what he's doing, but he's in over his head. I think that pretty much describes the state of the entire staff is just in over their head. And I hit on it last week, but at some point we have to put this on the staff and say, this team was better under Derek Mason last year. When are we going to say that? This team was better under Derek Mason. And I don't know why that has not been talked about. You look at final scores and it keeps happening. They were better under the coach we fired and thought was an idiot. And as much as I like the staff, what are we doing here even putting any positivity towards them anymore? Because they have more talent than they did last year, pretty much on the offensive side. So why are we still giving them the benefit of the doubt? And that is my big issue on the offensive side. Now, I do think the defensive side has taken some steps and will be better in the future. But the offense, is, it's time for a complete redo. It's time yeah. to start fresh. What, what I was going to say is Clark Lee is going to be defined by what he does with his, with his offense. If he, if he makes a switch next season and, and he simplifies things and, and they go to a, a simpler offense that fits Ken Seals a little bit better, I think that would please a lot of people. Now, you still have to produce on the field. But Clark Lee, in the end of the day, what he does with this offense 
will will define him at Vanderbilt. Mm-hmm. And because he he knows exactly what he's doing defensively. He's one mm-hmm. of the best defensive coordinators in the country, right up there with Derek Mason. He's putting his guys in position defensively, and the entire defensive staff is doing a great job. Well, that's when um, Derek Mason but, lost lost the fan base in us, Billy. Remember at the beginning, his defense was locked down, and the offense was awful. And then it got to the point that the defense was no longer as locked down because SEC offenses figured him out. And then you're like, okay, what is he? What what is his value added to the Vanderbilt program at this point? If his defenses aren't any good, and he's certainly not contributing on offense, and I'm just afraid we're we're early in the stages, but I can just see it happening. Of year one, defense struggles. Year two, big improvement. Year three, defense is really good, and the offense just trails. And the mm-hmm. offense is the thing holding this team back. And then Clark Lee's going to be able to put two years together of talent on offense with a good defense. And then they're going to figure out his defense and we're going to just be in the seven, same seven year cycle. And that is what I just say. I know it may be an overreaction after six games, but I know that is my fear. And I know that's what other Vanderbilt fans are starting to fear after six games. At this point, it's six games. It's half a season. It's a lot while simultaneously being nothing. Yeah. Hey, well, I mean, bottom, bottom line is this season and the second half of the season is going to define this team, this, this team won. if they go winless and, and, you know, proceed to not compete against teams like South Carolina and Missouri, that that's going to tell us a lot. I think again, about how long they have to go, but pressure on Clark Lee because recruiting recruits are starting to take notice. You've seen guys, BJD Kite is having a lot of steam right now for Georgia tech. And I can't imagine what some of those other guys are thinking about. So there is pressure on Clark Lee on the field, but there's also pressure on him right now and on the recruiting trail off the field. So uh, we can get into that a lot more, but we do have a third key here, um, and it's Patrick Smith. We both agree on the guy. He is – I think he could potentially be a guy like Jerron Seymour. He had 17 carries, 75 yards. He's going to be really good. He, he, he reminds me about C, of Seymour because of the way he runs. He never stops going, never stops churning. And, and you know, the running back room all of a sudden will – for next season, looks pretty solid. Ray Davis coming back. Rocco Griffin will be back. Patrick Smith will be back. And I don't know if you've heard of Maurice Edwards coming in, the running back. He's pretty damn good as well. So all of a sudden, Norval McKenzie has a good running back room. And I know this podcast has been pretty damn negative, but Patrick Smith, <laughs> as as a, as a whole, he was a bright spot that game. I, I you know I don't I don't I don't care what anybody says about about how that how that offense looked. He was a guy that played with grit and he played with toughness and he lit a spark. Now. Vanderbilt couldn't build off of that very much at all, but Patrick Smith lit a spark under that offense, and now it's time for other guys to start doing that. Other guys on this defense have to start doing that as well. You know, playing with energy, you know, playing with that dog mentality, also offensively. I mean, have Chris Pierce up there lay a guy out on a block and, and you know, I'm not saying stand over him, but show some emotion. You know, so show some of that aggression, just like Patrick Smith did. I mean, he wasn't getting up and 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 celebrating and doing all this, but he went out there and balled out. It's 75 yards, 17 carries as a true freshman, and he's not real big either. <laughs> this guy is—he's a bowling ball out there. So um, I want to—I I keep it positive there with our last with our last takeaway there with Pat Smith. Yeah, I wanted to keep it positive on my last take. You always steal my my positive takeaways. You make you make <laughs> me look more negative than I otherwise am because Patrick Smith was a shining light on a game that had a lot of disappointment in it. Yes. And there was one play in particular on a bad snap that was kind of fumbled by Ken Seals that he picked up. And two or three Florida defenders had an angle on him. 
And we always talk about SEC speed and Vanderbilt looking a half step, a step slow. Rocco Griffin, I like the guy who runs hard. He doesn't have SEC speed. Most of Vanderbilt's roster just does not have SEC speed. Patrick Smith had three Florida Gator defenders on him with angles, and he made one quick juke and made a 10-yard gain out of that. Mm-hmm. He has SEC speed. He's slippery. And just like we said that the final score of 42-0 doesn't necessarily reflect what happened in the game if you actually watch, Patrick Smith's 17 carries for 75 yards was a hell of a lot more impressive than 17 carries for 75 yards. Yep. The dude, would, I, they haven't put out the deep analytical stats on across different platforms Stat yet, cat. but the number of break, broken tackles that Patrick Smith had to just gain two yards. Well, yeah, I mean, there play, were multiple the, times the he almost play, bounced out. The one play it that stands out to me, he had lost seven yards. I, I think it was either a fumbled snap or something happened. He was seven yards behind line of scrimmage and ended up getting the first down, I think. Billy, that I, is the play I just described. Uh, okay, I, I wasn't sure. <laughs> that but, is what I was describing as the SEC speed. But I think we'd be remiss because I do want to make my last point here, which is the special teams. And you already talked to Bull of this, so I'm not getting into that. Mm-hmm. But Harrison Smith and the punt coverage. When did Harrison Smith become a rugby-style punter? I, I have a, um, because I have he a is theory. struggling, and I understand their punt coverage has struggled. Okay, so I know they don't have the guys that get down there, but there was a punter. I don't know if a Vanderbilt fans will remember. He's ranked the number one punter in the country in Sam Loy, and he chose Vanderbilt over a lot of other schools. And he came in, and he was booming punts at the beginning. He was a stud, and then a new special teams coordinator came in, tried to get him to do the rugby style. And he could, he was dead. It's not his style of play. And it doesn't translate to him maybe in the future getting a chance on a practice squad. So he transferred out. And this rugby style, I like it if you have a guy that is a rugby style punter. But that's a very different style than the traditional drop back, boom it, hang time punt. And then the fake punt run by Dan Mullen, which was mentioned in the article written by Brian Carlson. Go check it's it out. Classic Dan Mullen. And Dan Mullen's response on it is pretty much just hitting on the offense, on on the coaching staff being in over their head. Dan Mullen basically said, yeah, that wasn't really in the game plan, but they were just lining up everyone on one side of the field. And we said, what the hell are they doing? And just said, we can just run this for 30 yards. They don't even have anybody over there. And they did. And that's another thing where it's just like you look at it and it's, it's kind of like being a fan of a team. You're in too close. You're seeing the nitty gritty details of all of this stuff. But then when you take a step back and say, all that little nitty gritty doesn't really matter because these overarching things are more important. I think this staff is having trouble taking a step back and saying, these are the overarching things we need to focus on before we focus on nitty gritty game plan details. And I think they've kind of put the cart before the horse in a way of trying to design this super complicated offense, super aggressive new schemes and special teams and just get the basics down and figure out how to score a, you know what, point in a game against an SEC opponent before you start running heavy load, overload punt block schemes. I think that might be a better focus of your time, Clark. That's just one man's opinion who's watched you lose 104 to nothing in your first two SEC matchups. So maybe focus on that in the future as opposed to overload punt blocking schemes. And maybe that's not the best use of your practice time. <laughs> Again, I, I'm not a fan of it either, Will. It's, it, it, I'm just not. Yeah, sorry, um, you got me off on a little. On a little, I was pretty fired up during that game. It we're we're of, we're getting you fired up right now, man. It, it, it's I, it's I, gotten I to the point. It. There's enough. There's enough film. There's enough film where the points that I had after the week one loss to ETSU, the same problems. They're still doing the same things, and that is what always infuriated me about Mason. 
is his rigidity and lack of game plan adjustment throughout the season, not in game game plan adjustments, but saying, okay, we through three weeks, this has not worked. It's time to scrap it, man. I mean, you're six games in and you're the one of the worst offenses in the history of Vanderbilt football, which is that's saying a lot, man. That's saying a lot. Yeah. And maybe it's time to just scrap it. I don't I don't understand this beating your head into a brick wall with something that's just not gonna work. And they just keep wanting to do it and it's just driving me up a wall. Yeah, well, maybe uh maybe something changes against South Carolina and that that'll that'll, so. that'll that'll fix some of uh some of Will's concerns and, and a lot of uh, I mean, I think the main thing right now, Will, is is there's just no, you know, there's not any there's no energy with, with that offense. There's nothing where you can look at and say, Okay, you know, there there was something that we believe in this offense. There's something that happened. Now, there were some plays to Will Shepard that I thought, okay, Shepard has looked good today against Florida. You also have some some oh, plays to Chris awful. Pierce and 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 Will Cam Shepherd Johnson as as well. Um, but Will, let, let's 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 go here. I, I know that's 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 a lot there. That there's there's a lot in this game. Um, but Vanderbilt, South Carolina. Let's take a look at here. 18 and a half point underdog. Uh, again, I think we could talk about this Florida game for a lot longer. Um, but, you know, we're going to let some of the steam cool off a little bit. South Carolina <laughs> got boat raced by Tennessee this past weekend. And for back-to-back weeks, Vandy now gets a pissed off team on the road at Great. their place. Vandy has lost 12 straight to the Gamecocks. Um, South Carolina is in, in a really bad spot, though, too, right now. They're playing with a grad assistant as their quarterback, and I think that says where their program is to an extent. They're, they're, they're really beat up. I mean, still they, better they, passing stats. With, still better passing stats than Vanderbilt with a grad assistant. That's that's uh, that's just great. Um, so we'll we'll see what happens. But again, we'll talk more about this game. But eighteen and a half point underdog. What do you think about that, about that line? That is a crazy amount of points. This is the example of as much as I've just taken the entire first part of this podcast to crap on Vanderbilt <laughs> and and because it's you have to do it at some point. We we haven't really gone harshly in on anything. And it had to be done six games into the season, but 18 and a half points, which has moved out to 19 and a half against the South Carolina team. Anyone that has watched South Carolina, they should not be favored over 19 and a half points over anyone, an FCS opponent, anyone. Mm-hmm. So I like that. However, it is the, it is the game line in the SEC. It does. It is not the worst one of the season. I think if you have organs to sell, you have a house to sell, you have life savings to put, the fact that Ole Miss is only a three-point favorite over Tennessee is amazing because that Tennessee team has beaten Missouri and South Carolina, which are arguably alongside Vanderbilt, the three worst teams in the SEC by a lot. I think those three teams are in a tier of their own, and I think even their fan bases would agree. I'm not saying Vanderbilt's better than either of them, but I think they would agree that those are the three teams that are probably at the basement, mm-hmm. and that's who they to who Tennessee has beaten. And yeah. that game against Ole Miss could be a very fun game to watch. But the 18 and a half, 19 and a half points, yeah, Vanderbilt that's, that's should take ridiculous. that. That's bulletin board material yeah. for Clark Lee. As bad as they have been, that's that's some bulletin board material. And, Billy, I do want to get your thought on one play going back. Uh, Ryan Seymour, former Vanderbilt offensive lineman, tweeted out the picture and game that. film of it. Vanderbilt ran a play with four offensive linemen on the field that resulted in a Ken Seals interception. And that is what I forgot to mention. I talked about mm. it with you before the podcast. That is what I forgot to mention. That is what set me off into the deep dive about this coaching staff and the offensive scheme. Yeah. And that that play in particular, if you haven't seen it, you can go check it out on Ryan Seymour's Twitter. 
is one of the worst schemed plays I think I've ever seen in college it's football. pretty shocking. It's and it was pretty shocking. shocking they would even attempt something like that. So I, I forgot to preface all who, of my takes Who was he throwing that. it to? I don't remember I don't remember who he was throwing it to, but it just the whole play was just it looked funky from the beginning. It did not look like how it was supposed to look. That's gotta be. Is that a substitution mistake? Like who who was it? It looked like it was designed. It looked like was it the New York Giants that ran the fake punt where the punter went up under center under I think so, on the yeah. fake punt and yeah. immediately just got hit and, yeah. and obviously turned the ball over on death. Yeah. That's what it felt like. It felt like something they ran in practice that worked amazing. And it was like it worked really well and like getting too close to the situation. You bring it out on the actual game field and you're like, okay, that did the defense did not do what we thought they were going to do there. They just ran their normal style of defense and Ken Seals had somebody in his face within one second. That's so, unbelievable to me to think that, about that's four, another, four offensive linemen. That, that, that's, that's what initially is just like, man, what are they doing? It's like, what are we doing here? Like, yeah. I, and I think we both kind of have that question yeah. at times. And I'm, I'm just a little more pessimistic than you. Yeah, and I mean, I'm totally with you. This, this, You can tell this coaching staff has, you know, I, I feel like they're going too far out of the box. You know, you can go out of the box, but there's a line that you cross when you're trying to go out of the box. You're almost in outer space. Like, and I do want to say they, they, they added some creative play calling wrinkles that I liked. I, I, they got Devin Body Jr. in some space. I liked it. Like there were things I liked, but it's just the basics are still so far away from what I want to see. And that's that's where I have just basic scheme ideas are, yeah. are yeah, not ideal at this point. Look, there's a lot with this offense. There's a lot with this team. Um, and I'm with you, Will, that we need to start seeing stuff rather than hearing things from this staff. And it starts with South Carolina this week. And it starts – it's from South Carolina on. What are you going to show us? What are you going to bring us? New season. And, and it's, new it's a season. new season. Go want to know this week. And, you know, who knows what can happen. Because, Will, I think Vanderbilt – I think if they play to their potential, they can beat South Carolina. They can beat Missouri. I really I do believe – they can as well. I, I believe, I believe that. that as much as but I – I believe that as well. That, that is a big if at this point right now. And, and you know, but I, if we both believe it, there's something to it. And I think a lot of fans can agree. But at this point in the season, we haven't seen their, their potential. Um, and, you know, we saw it against Colorado State. You can say that against, you know. But right now, Will, that this team is, is um, you know, they're just not a great, a great spot. But the, the, the best thing about it is they've got a half a season left. And Team 1 can define their season with this second half of the season, and we'll see what they do. Um, but Will, that's it. What a what a recap. There's a lot of meat on that bone. Uh, just like Vanderbilt <laughs> left a lot of meat on the bone on the field. Um, but yeah, we'll come back next uh, later this week. Preview South Carolina. Uh, but there you have it. What what a yeah, recap. I think I, I think I, uh, think I shocked Billy here in this recap episode. Everyone was... with my negativity because typically he kind of knows where I'm going with negativity. But I, but I had to just get that out without giving him any fair I'll, warning. Because I'll admit, I was, I was taken aback. I was like, okay. The, it, there, it, this has go. been, this has been the buildup throughout the first six games. This was a big word spew all over this podcast of all of the issues <laughs> that I've had through six games. Now I want to take up, take those first six games. My ideal situation is take the first six games, crinkle it up, throw it in the garbage can. It's a new season, six games. I'm, I want to be able to judge this team off this last six-game stretch, and I want to put that first six games behind team one. And, and so that's my goal moving forward. I spewed out all of my negativity, 
And now I'm going to look to the future with a little more fresh perspective. Hey, fresh perspective is always good. Uh, we got got a little Claritin D in, and we're good. We're good to go for, for the second half of this Vanderbilt football season. All right, that does it here for episode 114. I'm Billy Derrick alongside Will Byram. You've been listening to The Door Report, powered by Alaco Finewood Floors. Well, that does it for episode 114 of The Door Report, powered by Alaco Finewood Floors. Again, Florida defeats Vanderbilt 42 to nothing. Coming up later in the week, we will have our South Carolina preview. South Carolina right now a 19.5 point underdog in Columbia. Massive game for Vanderbilt. Can, can Clark Lee relieve some of the pressure uh, on this year's team? We will see how Team 1 responds coming up next Saturday. For myself, Billy Derrick, and Will Byram, you've been listening to Episode 114 of The Door Report, powered by Alaco Finewood Floors.